0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, j This is our sermon series, Experiencing Jesus. We will explore how the gospel embodied creates a culture, a feel, and an experience. The gospel of Jesus says something, and it does something. And both are important. Good morning, I'm Charles. I'm one of the pastors here. Our passage today is Luke 19, 1-10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus, since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house." So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain, he's going to stay with a sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Be God. Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it. You can be seated.
1: All right, awesome. My name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here and just want to say welcome. As has been said a few times, man, we love that you are here and joining us uh, this morning. So we're uh, ending this series that we've just called Experiencing Jesus. In case you just first Sunday you've been here, we've just been... Uh, kind of working through four kind of pieces of talking about a culture here that we're trying to create. We convictionally believe that the gospel not only says something, it does something also. So not only is it content, but it also is a culture, and experience. And so uh, we've talked about a culture of hope. We've talked about a culture of grace. And last week, we talked about a culture of honesty. And so today I want to land the plane with a culture of hospitality. Have you guys ever been um, somewhere where you felt like they were annoyed that you were there? Ever been there? Ever gone to a restaurant or a grocery store? And it, the, like the vibe, the experience that you're getting from someone is basically like, why in the world are you here? Have you ever got, you know, I'm talking about anybody experience that even this this week maybe? It's like, I don't understand where that's kind of coming from. I don't know. Like it's it's like this is the reason I'm here is you got a job because I'm here, basically. If I'm, I'm not here, you're probably not going to be employed. I don't know if you're like me. Whenever that sort of happens, I have a tendency to be very overly apologetic. Oh, I'm so sorry for being here. Hang on. It would just take me like two seconds to run in and grab this. I promise I'll never do this again. I don't know if that's the best way to respond. Some of you may respond more of like, all right, if you're frustrated, then I'm going to make sure you're really frustrated because I'm going to stay for a really long time and, and make sure you understand why I am here. And so, um, so yeah, I don't know if that's been your experience or not, but I've had that, obviously, a few times in my life. And I'm just going to state the obvious here. I'm going to state what probably some of you are already thinking, but I just want to make it very plain and clear. I do not ever want that to be an experience of someone who comes here for the very first time. I don't want them to feel from us almost like an annoyance that they showed up or even... Um, a question of why in the world are you here? I mean, I know it's obvious that's what we want, but I I don't know this for sure because I didn't go through and ask people, right? But I probably want to, if I was a betting man, I bet I'd find about 10, 15 people who have experienced that in a church. Our desire, and it's been my desire for a really long time here is that, and we've said this before, Is that I want people that show up here for the very first time to feel the freedom to to not believe everything that we say and sing. But when they leave here, what's imprinted on them is that, man, they were glad I was there and that I mattered to them. That's kind of the impression that I want people to feel when they leave here. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this idea of a of hospitality. And it's a subject that we talked about quite often. If you, you know, been with us for a while, you know, we've preached on this a handful of times over the last couple years. And in fact, we're going to come back in August and look at it again. But we're looking at it from more of the angle of kind of a missional presence, like how do we you know, uh, reach people with the gospel in a very post-Christian world. And I think part of it means is this idea of hospitality that's been around for thousands of years. So we're not saying anything new by any stretch of the imagination. But today, what I want to do is I just want to highlight a, a, a facet of hospitality and that is the kind of a welcoming presence here. And that's not just my responsibility as your lead pastor, It's not just the pastors, the other ones that we have that help lead this church, their responsibility. It's not just the the staff's responsibility. All of us want to lead out in this way, but it's not solely our responsibility to make sure we have a welcoming presence here. It's our responsibility. If you call yourself a Christian and you're a member of this church, then you're the body of Christ. Right? You are the body of Jesus, and it's and it's our responsibility holistically, to create a culture of hospitality, a welcoming presence. It's not just the responsibility of sanguins, right? Or if you're an Enneagram fan, you know, the high sevens, right? Those that are just like all over the place, touching everybody, in a, not in a weird way, but in a, in a very healthy way, right? It's not just for those that have kind of more of a, an outward perspective on life and they just love more the merrier. No, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's all of us. We all have a responsibility here. And I'll show you kind of where I'm getting this through uh, one of the most famous stories that Luke has recorded for us. Uh, and that is the story of this young man named Zacchaeus. And we could have found a ton of stories Uh, within the Gospels that show this sort of welcoming presence of Jesus. But I would say that Zacchaeus is one of the best ones that we can find. So I just want to walk through this story really quick. And then um, I want to land on just four specific applications that I'm really wanting us as a body to step into over these next several months. All right. So let's start off in verse two here uh, and talk a little bit more about this man named Zacchaeus. So there was a man whose name was Zacchaeus. He was a a chief tax collector and he was rich. Two very important details that we'll get back to here in just a minute. Verse three, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a, a short man. Verse four, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. So so Luke here introduces us to this man named Zacchaeus, which is a Jewish man. And if you uh, kind of grew up in church and went to vacation Bible school uh, as a young person, you probably sang a song, right? Anybody with me, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, whatever, right? Moving on, we're not gonna sing that whole song here because I'm actually forgetting a few of the lyrics. I only remember the wee little man, a wee little man was he. And something about climbing in a sycamore tree because they all uh, kind of rhyme there. But here's the question I got for you. Why does Zacchaeus have to climb up in the tree? The song says... He climbed up in the tree because he was a wee little man. (laughs) But think about it. If you're six foot and you got somebody that's about 5'2", I don't know how tall that kiss was, so I'm just throwing out one, 5'2". If you're six foot and and another person's 5'2", and you're both trying to see the same thing, like why wouldn't you just put him in front of you? It's not going to block your view. You're up here, they're down here, right? You'll see the same thing. So why? Why did they keep Zacchaeus from seeing Jesus? Look, verse 3. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able, to say it out loud, because of the crowd. You see, Zacchaeus was specifically what we see here, a chief tax collector. And most of us that grew up in church probably have some idea about tax collectors. They are some of the most hated people in this time. Um, They were kind of the scum of the earth. I mean, none of us in this room love getting a phone call from the IRS or getting a letter from the IRS. So we don't have fond feelings toward the IRS, but it doesn't do justice for the way people felt about tax collectors. As long as they gave whatever money that they needed to give to the Roman government, they were allowed to charge anything above that. And they actually had their Roman government behind them to like even administer whatever they wanted to to make sure that would happen by law. And so every tax collector, obviously here was Zacchaeus as being the chief tax collector. And Luke does make a, a very concerted point here to make sure we know he is rich. And the reason why he's rich is he's getting wealthy off his fellow countrymen, charging them more than what he needed. So Zacchaeus, a Jewish man, was not only a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. He was a traitor. He was exploiting his own countrymen and getting rich off of them. He was the scum of the earth. As one Jewish writer says, a tax collector was so loathsome in this time that they should not even be considered human and that it was not a sin to lie to them because lying to an animal is not a sin. That's how they viewed him. Yes, Zacchaeus was a short man, but the VBS song kind of got it wrong. The reason why he had to climb the tree is because he was hated. The tree may have been even a tree of shame for him. He doesn't even deserve to be welcomed. But notice what happens here. Verse 5, like Jesus always does, he surprises us. Look what happens. When Jesus came to the place, some translations say when he reached the spot. So so I think Luke is giving us a little bit of a clue here that Jesus purposefully went to Jericho, not, you know, haphazardly, but he went there to go seek out Zacchaeus. He went the very spot, because at the very end of the story, it says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, and so he knew exactly where Zacchaeus would be, and so he went to that spot, and notice what happened here. Jesus looked up, and he said to him, what? What does he say? He calls him by name, Zacchaeus. So look, Zacchaeus has never met Jesus. They've never had a previous conversation. This is the, the first time that there's been any kind of encounter with Zacchaeus, and Jesus calls him by his name. He, he initiates a conversation. Zacchaeus is not up in the tree going, hey, hey, I know I'm small, but I'm way up here. Hey, can you see me? Hey, 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 do you notice me? Hey, 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 pay attention to me. No, Jesus went to the specific spot where he knew Zacchaeus would be and he looked up and he called him by his name. And notice what he does after that. Not only does he call him by his name, but he invites himself over. I mean, look what he says here. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down quickly because today it is necessary or I must stay at your house. So I don't know about you, but Jesus is the only person that can get away with something like this, right? Invite himself over. I do this every once in a while and Kathy gets on me about that. She's like, you can't invite yourself over to people. Well, Jesus did. I'm just trying to be like, Jesus, amen. Well, he could do it and get away with it and not be offended, but that's what he does. He invites himself over in such language where it's like, it's necessary. I've got to stay with you, Zacchaeus. And to Zacchaeus, I would say a surprise response here in verse six, he says what? So he quickly came down the tree and welcomed him joyfully. I mean, you would think, based on Zacchaeus' reputation and his profession, that he may have balked at the idea of Jesus coming over. This holy man, this rabbi coming over to his house, maybe, you know, uh, he makes some excuses. You know, my house is a wreck. You know, laundry's all over the place. You know, I don't have any food in the fridge. And I get it, they didn't have fridges back then. I'm just trying to be a little bit silly here, but he doesn't push Jesus away. Instead in verse six there, he said he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly with joy. Why is this? Well, in that culture, to share a meal with someone was a sign of friendship. It's a real intimate time for people when you share a meal for them. It's a sign of kind of like an affirmation by association. That's why the crowd was like, what? What are you doing? You don't affirm this guy. I mean, he's a, I mean, their language, not my language, a scum of the earth. He's a tax collector. But it's here that we see this beautiful and compelling picture of the welcoming of Jesus. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, as one writer says, to the bottom. He sees him fully, knows him entirely, knows he's a scoundrel, knows he's cheating people, but he draws near and welcomes him in. So when I talk about a culture of hospitality, this is what I'm wanting to emphasize. This welcoming presence of Jesus. Jesus didn't see people as projects. Do you like that? Do you like being seen as a project? I mean, I've said this before, but I remember uh, several years ago, uh, my brother-in-law, man, we have a great relationship, love him deeply and dearly. But several years ago, man, just trying to step into his life, ask some hard questions, on and on it goes. And I remember this conversation. I was, in a, I don't even know why I was going to a fish restaurant because I don't even love fish, fish, but I was there meeting someone. Uh, I mean, I, I, fish is okay. I I'm not totally against it. It's fried fish, so anything fried is great, right? Amen? I uh, you can, yeah, whatever. Moving on. But I was, remember being in the parking and lot, and I remember him saying this to me He says, Wow, I'm not one of your projects. And I get that. I do. Because it feels a little patronizing. And I was really humbled by that. It's like, I'm sorry. That's not my intentions. Jesus never treated people like that. In fact, what? What made them the religious leaders so mad about Jesus is that he befriended them. He welcomed them in. He sat down in, that, in a very intimate setting and, and shared a meal with them. I mean, Luke records this a few chapters earlier in Luke 15:1 through 2 when he says this, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, these are the religious leaders of this time, what were they doing? They were complaining, this man welcomes, look what it says there, welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is the reputation of Jesus. And here's the kicker. It's his enemies who are telling him about Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, it isn't the disciples that were spreading some kind of rumor about the very nature and character of Jesus. This is the people that don't like him who were saying, he is known for welcoming sinners and eating with them. And welcoming is more than just saying hi, right? Jesus doesn't walk up saying, peace, Zacchaeus, gotta go, right? No, like, like welcoming is way, not that there's anything wrong with saying hi with people. Please don't read into more than that. But it's, it's, it's more than that because it's also about valuing them, seeing their dignity, giving them worth, and beauty and showing that they really do matter to God and treating them as such. Jesus would love, he would touch, he would embrace anyone who would come to him. He was famous for this. And you can also make an argument that eventually it's what got him killed. So much so, this was such a part of his DNA. I mean, the welcoming of Jesus that when he was on the cross, what was his last conversation? He was talking to a dying thief right next to him. And what was he doing? He was welcoming him in his presence. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. He couldn't help himself. He was drowning in his own blood. And in that moment was able to welcome someone. And this kind of welcoming is powerful. So much so, it it changed Zacchaeus' life forever. Look what it says here in verse 8. So he came down the tree, stood there before Jesus, and it says this, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I will give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus say Zach because all through here I put Zach instead of writing out Zacchaeus all throughout my notes. So if I ever say Zach again, I'm not talking about Pastor Zach. I'm talking about Zacchaeus here, all right? So um, thanks for the two people that laughed at that. Zacchaeus. His life is radically changed by the welcoming of Jesus. Jesus didn't tell him to do any of this. This is the fruit of a renewed and changed heart that has encountered Jesus. And this, what he is doing here is not even required by Old Testament law. In the Old Testament, it called for people to give 10 to 20% of their income. Zacchaeus goes way beyond that and gives half of his possession to the poor. Furthermore, according to Old Testament law, if you were caught stealing, which is what Zacchaeus is doing here, obviously, You were required to pay back double for what you stole. But here, Zacchaeus vows to pay people back how many times? Say it out loud. Four times the amount he has stolen. Now think about this for a second. Think about this. If he's giving 50% of his wealth to the poor and then he's paying back four times what he has cheated them, this means that he's nearly giving all of his money away. The very thing that the rich young ruler could not do in Luke chapter 18, Zacchaeus is doing it here. And Jesus said nothing about money. That his encounter with Jesus, this welcoming presence of God in the flesh, caused him to do this. It was like he was eager to do it. It says there in the translation, look, Lord, this is what I'm going to do as a response to the grace that I've experienced Through you. And so remember, Zycheus is a tax collector. He's got no friends, he got no community, he doesn't hang out with people, he doesn't have a bowling league to go to on Thursday night and have a group of guys to drink a beer with. No, he has nobody. He is absolutely alone. And so he can kind of say this, like, I know I'm hated by everybody, but at least I'm rich. Not anymore. And he gladly and willingly Let go of all of this because he encountered the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And where did all of this begin? It began when Jesus went to the spot, looked up, and said, Zacchaeus, the welcoming presence of Jesus And guys, look, this is our invitation. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is our opportunity, the potential that God can do in and through you as the body of Jesus, that people can experience the very presence of Jesus, even though Jesus is not walking here in the flesh like he did, you know, 2,000 years ago in his encounter with Zacchaeus, that you can be that kind of presence, not only in this room, but you can be that kind of presence in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school. Because here's the thing we got to know Zacchaeus' story is our story, amen? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been welcomed in by God. There was a day when you were a stranger to the grace of God that's seen through Jesus Christ, where you were a stranger to the destructive nature of your own sin, where you were a stranger to your very need of who Jesus is. In fact, the Bible uses stronger language than stranger. They called you an enemy. They called me an enemy of God, but God didn't do this. He pursued, he chased after you, he chased after me, and he invited us in. And he welcomed us. Jesus knew every single one of us in this room to the bottom, right? And he didn't reject. He drew near. And he welcomed us. That's why Paul says this in Romans 15, right? Therefore, say it out loud. Welcome one another. How, Paul? As Christ has welcomed you. So what kind of presence should I have? What kind of welcoming presence should I have, Lyle? Well, here's some things I would encourage you to do. Maybe this week you sit down and open up a journal or a piece of paper and you ponder and you think about how Jesus has welcomed you. And see if that doesn't soften your heart to live that out wherever God's placed you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Every single week, we have men and women who wander into our gatherings for the first time. Some are invited. Others come on their own accord. Some have recently moved into this area. They're seeking out friendships and community while others haven't been to church in a really long time, if ever. And their experience will determine whether they ever come back. And their experience does not start when the stage people get up here. It starts out there in the parking lot. I've been here for almost, or not almost, I've been here for over 11 years. Um, And the reality is, is when you lead anything for a long time, I mean, if you're a teacher, if you are a boss at an organization, even in your family, like, you know I'm saying? If you lead for a long time, you'll see both like the good of you and you'll also see the bad of you. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's reflected. And so that's why sometimes Sundays can be really hard, amen? You give me a little grace up here, right? It's like some ways I see, oh, okay, we're doing well here. And oh, okay, this is like a mirror, you know, looking in the mirror here. And one of the things that we've really uh, leaned into, I think in some way, in a, in a very intentional way at least, is this kind of idea of hospitality and welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you. Some of it's because it's in me. I'm saying I'm doing this perfectly in any stretch of the imagination. But being a student minister for almost 20 years really trained me to kind of lean in like this. And here's the reality too. I, I think there's ways that we've done this really well and there are ways that we have not. I can bring up probably six different families that have come up here and tell you, say that this is the most welcoming church that they've ever been to in their entire life. And then at the same time, I can bring up another six families and they will tell you this is the most unwelcoming church that I've ever been to in my entire life. And sometimes over the last 11 years, I'll get that same message in the same week. <laughs> so sometimes you're going like, who's right? Are we really welcoming or are we really unwelcoming? I would say yes. I would say both are right. Because we, um, we never arrive here, right? It's not like a little box. Okay, we're going to do a survey. We've checked that off. We can move on. We can go to value number two, right? Because like, the propensity in all of us, including me, is never to move toward. What is it? It's always step back. It's always to get kind of insular. It's always to kind of think about me. I feel weird. Don't want to do that. That feels awkward. What if they think this? What if they think I'm creepy? Oh, that sounds strange. I'm, I, I'm just going to sit here. And so I think there's always um, a need for us to identify ways that we need to continue to grow in this area. Yeah, celebrate what God's done here in our culture to where I feel like we've really worked hard to make this a welcoming place and to welcome one another as Jesus has welcomed us. And at the same time, like, I want us to continue to grow here. So I got four encouragements, right? Maybe... Admonitions, that, is, that, is that the word I'm using? I feel like I'm putting ammunition together with something that doesn't sound right, right? Okay, moving on, all right? But maybe more of like a real kind of real, real encouraging word here. I got four, all right? That are in light of what we're talking about and making a welcoming presence here and growing in this. So the first one is this. Will you, for the next several weeks and maybe every week for this entire year, will you pray this breath prayer with me every time you come in here on Sunday mornings? I get it. If you've got small kids, probably crazy and chaotic and you're not praying this prayer. You're praying that God give me sanity, right? But I'm asking, in in addition to whatever sanity you're praying, whatever you gotta pray, I'm asking you to pray this also. Help me. Help me to welcome someone. Not everyone. You don't need to carry that weight, but someone as you have welcomed me. So this... This is for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, members at this church. So the thing I'm asking you to do is that you're I'm asking you to pray a breath prayer that hopefully gets your eyes up. If Jesus never looked up, he passes by kiss. If we never look up metaphorically, we're passing by a lot of people that roll in our church. Who are brand new. Who maybe is giving it a shot one more time. And I'm praying that through a simple little breath prayer that the spirit of God will help us come in here and not just think about what I'm going to get, <laughs> but also see what I can give. That someone, look, this is not an overstatement. Someone can experience the welcome of Jesus through you. That's powerful. And just think about it. I don't know, 100 people in here, maybe? Okay, doesn't really matter. What if 50 of us, just half, did that every Sunday on your way in here for the rest of the year? Like, I I trust that the Spirit of God will do something really powerful with that. So will you pray with me? A breath prayer. Help me to welcome someone as you have welcomed me. Number two, no one sits alone. I know with COVID, this has jacked everything up when it comes to like trying to be hospitable and welcome people, I get it. But here's the reality, before COVID ever came to reality and whatever, we had people that would be in this gathering sitting all by themselves. And what we have a tendency to do, all right, and I'm not saying this is wrong or bad and just, just laying out an observation because I do it too. Like we all kind of sit in our family units, you know, husband, wife, friend, and friend, whatever, you know, uh, family, husband, four kids roll in here. We all kind of just sit in our little family units, but here's the reality. we don't. We have people here that don't have family units. We have single people here. We have empty nesters. Here we have people that are divorced. And they don't have a unit to come sit with. Like it's it can it's quite intimidating to walk in here, all by yourself and go. All right, where am I going to sit by myself where it doesn't look really obvious that I'm by my, myself? That that's probably a, some of the questions that people have. And then you you got all these family units that I don't fit there, don't fit there, don't fit there. So it feels weird for them to come up. Hey, can I? Are you saving this for your kid, your wife, your other? What, can I sit here? It just feels really weird. So why don't we? <laughs> Right? Why don't we take a step and say, all right, I'm gonna go over there and invite them to either sit with us or I'm gonna sit with them. Not in a weird way. I get it, man, there's gotta be some sensitivity to the wisdom of God here. Like we're not trying to be creepy and creep on people. I'm just, and you know, obviously guy, guy, girl, girl. I mean, you're saying like, yeah, I think you know all those like, I'm the nuances thing to death for crying out loud. But I'm, I'm just saying like, let's do this, right? I mean, the worst they can say is, no, I'm good by myself, which is great. But at least we've given them an opportunity to come and sit with us. And maybe it might mean that husband and wife might need to divide and conquer on a Sunday, right? I mean, you sit together all throughout the week, right? Amen. If the only time you're sitting together is on Sunday, then you got more problems, right? (laughs) we got to do something else. But but maybe on that Sunday you just say, hey, look, I noticed so-and-so by themselves. I'm going to go just sit down and talk with them and, and sit with them this Sunday. Like, what if we made that our aim every week we come in here? No one sits alone. I mean, I'm just looking at a handful of people right now they are sitting all by themselves. Hurts me. I don't know this for sure, but Jesus wasn't married. It's kind of weird to think that Jesus may be sitting in our church all by himself. (laughs) But here's what I think Jesus would do. He would go seek somebody out. And that's what I'm trying to encourage us to do. Pray, eyes up, no one sits alone. Thirdly, I call it the five minute rule, all right? I heard this somewhere for a long, long time ago. I don't know who. Um, so I'm not I'm giving credit to somebody out there, so I don't want to be charged with plagiarism, all right? Uh, but the five-minute rule basically is this. And look, please hear me. This is, oh, man, by the grace of God, like I'm not sitting over there in my seat timing and watching people who's doing this and then calling you out. No, I'm just, I'm just saying this. We all have a tendency to kind of just do our habits and our habits are this. After the benediction, we'll either sprint to the car, sprint to go get our kids, which you need to do that. That's the five-minute rule for parents. Go get your daggum kids. Um, and then, or, or the other thing we normally do is just talk to everybody we know. And so I'm just asking us, because we're we're wanting to create a culture of hospitality, welcoming one another as Jesus has welcomed us, that we would go after people we do not know. That the first five minutes after the benediction, we get our eyes up and we go talk to somebody we don't know. Introduce ourselves. I know we kind of do it during the passing of the peace, but that passing of the peace is so concise and short. Some of you don't know what to do during that time because like, do I get in a long conversation? Do I not? Because if I get in a long conversation, I get cut off. It just feels weird. And so now I'm standing here waiting for him to get up there and say something or her. So here, this this handles all that. The five minute rule, go after somebody. The first five minutes after the benediction, go find someone that you do not know and talk with them. That's it. That's it. I, I get it, man. I know some of you are introverts by nature. And I know this is really, really hard. Some of you are extroverts going, hallelujah. I feel like I can apply a sermon today. So here's the thing I would say. They're like, look, I'm not telling you go talk to everyone. Find one person. That's it. One person. And risk. And say, hey, my name is so-and-so. How long you been going here? Five-minute rule. Number four. Name tags, dun-dun-dun, right? Uh, last time we introduced these a couple years ago, COVID hit and we had to stop meeting in person for like two months. Like literally, I'm, I'm not exaggerating or making this up. Uh, so I'm a little nervous about bringing this back. I don't, I don't know, maybe that was God saying, nope, no name tags in my church. Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna try this again, okay? And so I'm always one that's willing to like try something for a few months if it doesn't work, then we'll we'll stop. This is not a moral thing. It's not like an issue like, ooh, we're not a great church if we don't do name tags. I'm just willing to try things. But here's the thing. Here's what I've learned, all right, by experience, is that we're trying our best to remove as many barriers from going and talking to someone. And I would put out before you that a barrier is not knowing someone's name, especially if you've asked their name for four weeks in a row and it's like, I don't think I can do it again. So what do you do? You stop going to them. And you kind of avoid them. I'm like, oh, there they are. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Or maybe I'm just talking about myself. I don't know. Maybe you don't have that problem. And so I'm just saying, hey, let's do what we can to remove barriers and make it really hard not to be known here. And one of those barriers is, is names. So... This is what we're going to do. Like, look, and no one's monitoring this. No one's out there, like, tackling somebody that doesn't have a name tag on. You know, it's fine. If you don't want to wear a name tag, it is fine. Man, no shame, no guilt. Awesome. Super. But what we'll have in the atrium, if you weren't here a couple years ago, we'll have a couple tables. They'll have some name tags on there and a Sharpie. Just write your name. Write your name. Not not someone else's name, students'. Uh, not in your name. What is your name? And write it legibly and we're not going to make someone feel guilty or shame if they look down to look at your name, right? Amen? Can we just say that all together? We're not going to do that, right? So, prayer, breath prayer with me over these next several weeks. No one sits alone. Five minute rule. Name tags. And and may God continue to create a welcoming presence here that people would experience the welcome of Jesus through us. I'll close with this. I um, came on this podcast a, a few months ago. It's been around for a couple of years. I think it came out right after this movie came out. Uh, this is called Finding Fred, talking about Fred Rogers and um, dealing with some of the episodes that were within his, his uh, you know, um, his, his TV show that he did. Um, gosh, I'm going blank on his TV show right now, but it doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and it's really intriguing. It really is. I encourage you to, to listen to it. Um, just really shows you there was a lot more going on with this show than just like entertaining kids uh, by any stretch of the imagination there. Uh, but there's one episode where he, uh, they talk about the episode where Officer Clemens and uh, Fred Rogers share a, um, a pool together. And here's the picture of it. And so this was uh, right at the end of 1960, I think 68, if I'm remembering correctly, when this was done. And so if you know anything about history, obviously this was in the height of the Civil Rights Movement. And there's a lot going on in this scene, a lot going on uh, in the scene that they talk about, which is not what I'm bringing out this, this morning. Maybe in another day I will. But they were um, talking with Officer Clements here, interviewing him. And one of the things that Fred would do at the end of his show, almost every time, he would change his shoes, he would remove his sweater, and he would sing this song, and I think it's on the screen here. You've made it a special day for me, you know how, by just your being yourself. There's only one person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. Obviously, I'm not doing it justice as far as how he sings it, but this is how he basically would end his show every single time. And Officer Clemens was on the set here at this time, and and he didn't show up every week because he wasn't always on the show. But he remembers this one specific time where it felt like, even though this is a massive studio, it felt like Fred was talking directly to him. I mean, like locking eyes, talking directly to him. So much so uh, that it made him go and ask Fred after the show was over, he said, Fred, were you... Were you talking to me? I mean, it felt like it. I mean, it's kind of weird to say that because I know you say it every end of every show. And there's been other times when I've been here, but it just seems like you were talking directly to me. I've never had someone say that to me in my entire life. And Fred responded with this. Yes. Yes. I've been saying it for two years. For two years. And you finally heard me. And then Officer Clemens said this in the podcast, and I quote, and he said this with tears. He said, that was such a divine explosion. A divine explosion. I can't explain it in any other way. I saw and my little addition there was experienced divinity. I've never experienced anything like it since. And in that moment, I collapsed in his arms powerful. And this is the invitation, the opportunity that every single one of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have the spirit of God that is dwelling in us and that in our encounters with people, not only in this room, but at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood is an opportunity for them to experience divinity. You get that? That they get to experience God in the flesh, Jesus, because you are becoming more and more like Christ. That's the that's a beautiful invitation that all of us in this room have as a follower of Jesus Christ. That our encounters with one another is not just like, well, we said hey and we moved on. No, it's an opportunity for them to be in, in the presence and experience who Jesus is. What if we leaned into this, this empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and we continue to cultivate a place of hope where people really felt like they could change and be a different place or a different person, that they experience a, 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 a culture a culture of, of grace where, where they genuinely, by just being with you, felt like the pressure's off. <laughs> they don't gotta perform. They don't have to kind of put up their best foot forward. They can just be themselves and find a safe place. What if we really create a culture of honesty where this this weight of sin got lifted up because we were honest and we confessed with one another? And what if we really did create a culture of hospitality, a welcoming presence where people can come in here and leave here going, I think I just met with Jesus because I talked to fill in the blank. And the the way that they experienced you, right? Felt like the welcome of Jesus. Man, what an opportunity we have as a church. And may God, by his grace, help us to live into this. Let's pray. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com
0: slash JTown.